Good morning to each of you. Our text today comes from Matthew chapter 16, the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 16 as we look at the subject of the church. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18 and 19. Uh, we'll, we'll start right here in verse 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. I tell you, Peter, or I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. This is a great uh, text, especially as we uh, try to understand what the church is, and I, I want to do some messages on the church and uh, why we have a church. The church has kind of lost its uh, luster for a lot of people today. They believe in God and even in Jesus, but uh, church seems to be left by the wayside and made to be optional. Um, let, let's look at what Jesus said about the church. And this comes in the context of uh, his question to Peter about who he was. Peter, who do men say that I am? You have this in verse 13 and 14. Uh, Jesus is on his way to, Jer to Jerusalem. He's going to be crucified and resurrected. And he says to Peter, who do, pe who do people say I am? And Peter said, well, uh, some people say you're you know, Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. And Jesus said, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter says, you are the Christ. This is in uh, verse 17 or verse 16, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ. And that's the English word for Messiah, the Jewish Messiah. You are the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Son of the living God, which is another title for the Messiah. And then is when Jesus says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now a quick note here, I know that some people hold that uh, Peter is the rock on which Jesus builds his church, but there's a little difference in the, uh, the Greek word Peter is actually petros, which means a stone. But the, but the word rock, he says, and upon, I, you are Peter, petros, and on this rock, petra, P-E-T-R-A. That's the Greek word for rock. And he builds his church on the rock, the Petra. Not upon Peter, the Petros, the stone, but the rock. There is a city in uh, modern-day Jordan uh, that is called Petra. Do we have... Give me the pictures of... Can you pull up Petra? This is a, this ha, it's an archaeological dig and a tourist site today. But what this gives you a little bit about 
what the word Petra means. Give me the next one up. If you go into Petra, this is where like in the first century, they had 20 or 30,000 people living there. But uh, today it's uh, just uh, abandoned caves. But it used to be this huge well-known city. Well, it's built into this huge rock mountain. And so they named it Petra, P-E-T-R-A. Well, that's what the word Jesus uses when he says, on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. But why does he say you are Petros? A little stone, a piece of that rock. The, the, the rock he builds his church on is the confession that Peter gives in verse 16. You are the Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going to build my church on this rock. That is the understanding and public confession of Jesus as the Messiah. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises. And, and Jesus comes and he says to Peter, who do you say I am? Have you grasped this? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. You are a piece of that rock. You are a part and you participate in the stability of my life and the foundation that I'm bringing. But you're a piece, not the whole. I can't think of any way to make an institution more unstable than to build it on a human being. <laughs> Amen? So it's not, it's not a person he's building it on. It's the Petra, the understanding and confession and testimony about the identity of Jesus Christ and who he is. So on what does Jesus build his church? What is the foundation strong? He builds his church on the foundation of who he is as the Old Testament Messiah. The church is built as a people come to confess him as Messiah and identify with him in his kingdom. That's why we are given strength, rock-like, Christ-like qualities because we participate with Him in His kingdom by confessing Him as Messiah. Now just a word about this idea of the Christ. Uh, and when you look in verse 17, I think that is a... Uh, or verse 16, I think that is a key verse... Um, in Matthew 16, verse 16 and 17, you are the Christ. The word Christ is the English word for Messiah. Messiah is actually just a Hebrew term. And in verse 17, Jesus said, Blessed are you, because the Father had revealed that to you. You didn't just study and come to a conclusion by reading comparative religious books. This actually comes from a revelation from God. In the Old Testament, the, the predictions of a coming deliverer are many. 
far, as far back as Genesis 3.15, God says, I will put hostility between Satan and the woman, that is, uh, talking about Eve, and she will have an offspring, a seed, and he will crush Satan's head. That's in Genesis 3.15. Deuteronomy 18.15, Moses, when he brings the people up out of Egyptian bondage, he comes to Israel in Deuteronomy 18.15 at the end of his life. He says, the Lord will raise up a prophet like me from among you. He's going, one day there'll be a prophet just like me and you need to listen to him. He's going to be like me. That is, he will deliver people he will lead people. He will provide and bring manna from heaven. In 2 Samuel 7 and verse 12, God told David, he said, I will raise up an offspring after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom and he will build a house for me. Now Jesus is from the line of David. And he says here, I will build my church. This is exactly what God predicted through David in 2 Samuel 7, 14. In Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 6, he says, there will come one whose name is the branch. That The Messiah's name was the branch because it says, Zechariah 6, 6, he will branch out and build my temple. Now, I hold that this is exactly what he is teaching here in Matthew 16 when he says in verse 18, I will, I will build my church. Now, I know that there are some today who believe that uh, God's going to have a literal rebuilt Jewish temple over in Jerusalem. I think the temple that is referred to and promised to be rebuilt is not some literal temple with Jewish sacrifices restored, but the temple which is the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, Paul says to the Corinthian church, ye, plural, you all, are the temple of the living God. You're the temple. You're now where God dwells. It's not like a, it's not where you have to get on a plane and go over to Jerusalem. You can usually go down the block and be in the presence of God with his people. And Jesus said, I will build my church, my temple. I am the branch. I'm going to branch out. This a deliverer would be both a king and a priest on his throne. Psalm 110, the Lord is sworn. He will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was both a king and a priest, same office. Or the same person in with two, two positions, two offices, king and priest. Isaiah 53, 11, he, he would bear our sins and count many as righteous, Isaiah 53, 11, because he would bear their iniquities. He would count them righteous because he's going to pay for their sins. 
So there is coming in the Old Testament, these are just a few that I've given to you. In Micah, he, it pronounces uh, the fact that he'd be born in Bethlehem. In Isaiah 7, 14, he'd be born of a virgin. All these pronouncements and prophecies and predictions, he would be a deliverer, a redeemer, an anointed one who would be mighty to save. He would bring in the kingdom, build up the temple, and restore and regather the people. He would love us and save us and forgive us and pay for our sins on the cross. Now all of these prophecies uh, all coalesce in the person of Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, after teaching his disciples for two or three years, and they were a little slow sometimes, so he asked them, Guys, what do you think? Who do you say I am? I think Jesus probably breathed a big sigh of relief when Peter said, you are the Messiah. It's like Jesus, <laughs> yes, thank you. Thank you, Father. And, and let me say this. When Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Jesus said to him, and this is in verse 17, well, the Father has revealed that to you. So if you are here today and you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament promises, that He is the hope that people have looked forward to in history, and that ultimately every solution, every problem finds its solution, whether it's death or sin or sickness or poverty or social ills, or bondage of any kind, ultimately every problem finds its solution in our Messiah, Jesus Christ. If you have come to believe that, the Father revealed it to you. That's what he's saying in verse 17. Peter, you're a little slow, but God has taught you this much. So this is how he's going to build his church. By the Father revealing who Jesus is and the, and the identity, the understanding of the identity of Jesus is the rock upon which He will build His church. The Messiahship rooted in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the person of Christ, and especially in His death and resurrection. So here are, just to summarize, here's three things I want you to remember about the church. One is in verse 17. Look at it one more quick time. I've mentioned it, but here it is. Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed it to you, but my Father in heaven. The first thing to remember about the church is it does not come from students who pour their minds over these details, but it comes supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is, the church is a, is a people who have been divinely illumined and enlightened. We have that in common. That's the way he builds it. Is that a people, one by one, become divinely enlightened as to who Jesus Christ is as the Messiah and that he is their hope. And the fulfillment of Old Testament predictions about embodying everything is in him. Number two... What to remember about the church? It enables us to be part of a movement, a kingdom, a people, 
that cannot be defeated. You see that in the next verse, verse 18. I tell you, you are Peter, that is a part of the rock. And on this rock, confession of Christ as Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. When we come to Christ, confessing Him as Messiah, the hope of the world, and divinely enlightened to do so, we become part of a kingdom, a church, a people that cannot be defeated. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So victory does mark us. We had a missionary last year, uh, I think it was last year, from China that came on a Wednesday night and shared with us. And he, he gave us this statistic I found to, to be amazing. He said um, that in their studies, they found that there were 10,000 churches that were being started every month in China. Now, these are not denominations. These are just home churches that are getting together, people becoming Christians, putting their faith in Christ. And that's, that's phenomenal. When you look around the world at what God is doing, you have to be global in your thinking on some of this, and not just local, not just what you can see provincially, but globally and generationally, the, the, the building and growing and expansion of the church has never ceased. And when we become a Christian, we are part of that uh, group or people or nation or kingdom that cannot be defeated. Imagine the church in the first century the typical building blocks of a successful uh, movement are, are fairly common. They consist of uh, uh, finances, financial resources, uh, government support, um, popular sympathies, military might. Those are all things that are normally part of some kind of revolt or revolution or movement, political movement in history. The church had none of these. In fact, most of these were against the church. It didn't have popular support. It didn't have government support. It didn't have rich people. It didn't have political backing. It didn't have famous names attached. The church basically was carved out of a poor people who discovered who Jesus was. To be found out as a Christian was in the first century to jeopardize your life, maybe have your property confiscated, to be cut off from your family. If you were Jewish, you would be cast out of the family, lose your inheritance. But even with all that, the church, one by one, family by family, church by church, grew until by 300 A.D., 300 years after Christ, 
There was a Caesar in Rome named Constantine. He, his mother was a Christian. She prayed for him, and ultimately Constantine was converted. And you know what Constantine did? He took all of the pagan temples of the Roman Empire and by law shut them all down and handed the buildings over to the Christians. <laughs> that was the first time Christians actually had buildings and declared that Sunday, on which they usually worship the sun, was the Christian first day of the week. This was from Constantine. Now, some people doubt his conversion, but I'm just giving you what the historical facts are that everybody agrees on. He made a professed faith in Christ. By, in 300 years, the church had essentially conquered the mightiest empire in the earth. The key here is in verse 18 when Jesus said, I will build my church. I will. That's very comforting to those of us who want to see our church grow. Ultimately, we have to make our appeal to Him who is the ultimate church builder and church grower. In Matthew 28, 18, He said, All authority in heaven and in earth is mine. That's the basis on which the church grows. He said, I will. He has all authority. He can decree it. Philippians 3.21, He is able to subdue all things to Himself. He's the ultimate source. Ephesians 1.20-22, God raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand, far above all rule and authority. And He put all things under His feet for the church. Ephesians 1.22. So ultimately... It is Jesus who is the church builder. Here's a third thing to remember about the church. Is that it gives to us the privilege of participating in its expansion and growth. Look at the next verse, verse 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We are invited to participate in the church's expansion. What are keys? Well, they open doors and they can close doors. We can make decisions for the kingdom, set open doors and invite people through them, make boundaries for behavior and pro provide correction and invitation to an erring brother. That's keys to the kingdom. Come in. Or we can lock the door. We can set boundaries for membership. This is the authority of the church. Look at it in verse 19. I give you, the church, the keys of the kingdom. Now, he didn't give them to Peter. Look over at uh, Matthew 18 and verse 17 and 18. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 17 and 18. Here he's talking to the church. And he says in verse 17, if he, if he refuses, here's an erring brother. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. And verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth 
shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Who's he saying, I say to you? He's saying to the church. If he refuses to listen to the church. See, that's the context. The church can bind and loose. The church can make decisions. The church can set boundaries. The church can open a door and unlock that which hinders. It is given to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here, here's the, the things. Uh, back up to those three things real quick. Here's three things I want you to remember about the church. It requires us to have a divine revelation. The church supernaturally built, rooted in, the, in, in our understanding and confession of Christ. It enables us to be part of a movement that cannot be defeated. I will build my church, the gates of hell will not prevail. And it gives us the privilege of participating in it. I give you the keys of the kingdom. So what I want us to do in coming days, I, I want us to have maybe next month an invitation Sunday. We'll just invite people to come and join us. Uh, a lot of times during the summer people get scattered and we, we have to give them a little jump start to help them get started back again. So sometime next month, let's invite people. Let's just gather them all up on one single Sunday morning and get them in to worship, to praise, and hear His Word. Let me give you this verse. This is in Proverbs uh, 19 and 21. Here's what it says. Many are the plans in the heart of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. We've got a lot of plans and desires and ambitions. But here's what he's saying in Proverbs 19.21. If we line our plans up with the purpose of God, the purpose of God will stand. That's what we hook our wagon to, is the purpose of God. Many are the plans in the heart of a man. And a lot of times they fall flat. But if we line ourselves up with the purpose of God, and which is what? I will build my church. We know what Jesus is about. So let's line up with Him. I saw this illustration a couple of weeks ago. Uh, in 2012, in the Olympics, played out in London, England, it seems that the ladies' doubles badminton game between China and South Korea, uh, that the leaders were disqualified because in the words of the International Olympic Committee, they did not use their best efforts to win the match. I thought, I can just see these badminton players rather pathetically or apathetically hitting the bad mitten across. It's like, <laughs> this is sad. When you can't be committed to something like bad mitten, but actually, this is the way we generally respond. Things that don't challenge us, don't call out our best. We don't rise to it. 
Here is something that you can rise to meet the challenge of. This calls forth the best of us. It calls for perseverance and intercession and sacrifice, and that is to join the Lord Jesus Christ. He who builds His church invites us to participate. So let's do it. And over these next two or three weeks, I want to share with you about the church and how to commit to the church. What is the church? Where are we going as a local church? What makes an effective church? So that's the direction we're going to take the next couple of weeks.